Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 1045 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask you to take them out or turn them on and find Acts chapter 8. <laughs> and uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, we just want to say again, thank you for joining us. Uh, we're here every week, so you're welcome to come back. And we just, we just love the Lord. We love His Word, and we want to be in it. We want it to speak to our hearts every week. And just have a couple of uh, things I want to double uh, hit on this morning. Again, to our senior saints, that growing and thriving uh, small group. Uh, we just want to make sure that it is Wednesday this week, uh, not Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday this week for you guys. And uh, last Sunday was an important Sunday in our church. It was a, a heavy Sunday, uh, as Pastor Justin preached out of Genesis 32. And um, we are going to have that sermon uploaded uh, by tomorrow, and that'll be up there. I had some people asking when would that be available um, and so that, we just wanted to let you guys know that sermon will be available and uh, happy to continue that conversation and be praying for uh, our church and, and the Chicas as uh, we walk our way um, through a transition. But uh, we're super thankful for you and the support and, and just being a church that can walk through those things as a family and uh, do it in a way that glorifies God. So thank you so much for, for doing that. You know, as I uh, get these opportunities to preach, every time that uh, I, I approach the, the process of preparing a sermon, uh, I was it kind of part of my training was this idea that you need to preach the sermon to yourself first. If it doesn't resonate inside your heart, if it's not something that moves you, it's, it's probably not going to be uh, moving to the people who hear it. And it's not because of how you present it. Because anything that causes actual movement towards God is spirit-led. It's not man-led. You know, this has been a season of just busyness and uh, heaviness. And there's a lot going on in our church. And, and I just truly believe, as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning, in Acts chapter 8, um, I believe there's something in there for us this morning. I really do. Uh, it's spoken to my heart. And uh, I'm excited to dig in. We've been working our way through the book of Acts, and we've seen some incredible stories so far in the first seven chapters. We've seen the start, the birth of the church, those people who would believe in the gospel for their salvation, those people who would trust that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died a death on our behalf, and he rose from the grave victoriously three days later, proving that he was God and qualifying him to be able to be the, the giver of salvation, to have the means to forgive sin in a righteous way that honors God. And people began to believe in that by the thousands as God sent his Holy Spirit to indwell those first apostles and those first followers, and then they began to go out throughout the world. Uh, and be, starting there in Jerusalem, began proclaiming the gospel, and thousands of people are getting saved. But what we've also seen in the first seven chapters is a growing opposition towards those who would say, I have decided to follow Jesus. That opposition started back then. It, in fact, we know that it actually started while Christ was still living. And it continues to be part of our world today, an opposition towards the truth of God's word. And as that opposition in the first couple of chapters focused on those people who were leaders, the apostles, those called by God, those who walked with Christ, and then Christ then commissioned to be the ones who, to start the church and to take that gospel out, we saw that they were persecuted. 
But last time we were in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, we actually saw that that persecution then didn't just focus on the leadership, it also started to turn to the church at large. And last time we were together, we saw uh, a man named Stephen, and we heard about his ministry, and we heard his message, and we learned about his martyrdom as he was brutally murdered for being a truth teller, for being someone who would stand with Jesus rather than popular opinion. And we learned that. This morning we're going to look now at Acts chapter 8, and we're going to see another man named Philip. And Philip was just like Stephen in the fact that he was selected back in Acts chapter 6 of, as one of seven men who were assigned to be the first deacons. And, and deacons are where we use in the church and we hear about it. And, and deacons are those who are, are qualified through a, a good reputation. They're full of the spirit. They're full of wisdom is what it says in Acts chapter 6. And they are gifted by God to come alongside the church and to be the servants of the church, to do the work of the church that allows the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, to be devoted to the prayer and the preaching of God's word and that shepherding aspect. And so Philip is named with Stephen as being one of those seven men who the people said, Philip is someone who could help us in this way. Philip is someone that could lead in this way. But Philip was a lot like you and I. He was just an ordinary person, just a person who had a faith. But that faith was so known, that faith was so genuine that when it came to select somebody that could help the apostles in this way, Philip was one of the people that everyone saw as, yeah, that, that sounds like someone like Philip. And so this morning we're going to look at Philip, and I believe God's going to meet us where we're at. Uh, if you've been going through hardship this week, I think this, this text is going to meet you where you're at. If you're in a season right now of uncertainty, I believe that this passage is going to meet you where we're at. And the goal this morning is that we would be reminded of a very simple truth that we see in Isaiah 55. It's the truth that continues to come to my mind as I studied in preparation for this morning, and that is this. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways, his thoughts are higher, they're better than ours. And he can be trusted. He can be trusted. Now, again, as we uh, set out to tackle a whole chapter of Acts, we're not going to cover every verse, but we're going to specifically look at the passages that deal with Philip and his life, which is the majority of Acts chapter 8. And so if you guys would, wouldn't mind, please standing in honor of God's word, we're going to read a few portions of Acts 8, starting at verse 1. If you're ready, say ready. This is the word of the Lord. And Saul approved of his execution. This is speaking to Stephen's martyrdom. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to a city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they had heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go 
toward the south to a road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Do you believe that actually happened? It did. You may be seated. Father God, as we turn our attention now to your word, and as we ask it to speak to our hearts, God, would you use your Holy Spirit to give us understanding? Would you allow it to speak clearly to us and that it would give us direction, wisdom for today? God, thank you for this testimony of Philip. I pray that it would encourage our hearts now. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Where does courage come from? I've been thinking about that because that's the name of this mini-series through our study of Acts. It takes courage. One author, his name John Bloom, says this, Courage is not autonomous. It's not a self-generated virtue. Courage is always produced by faith, whether that is faith in God or something else. John Piper said it this way, Christian courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of the earthly cost. Because God promises to help you and save you on account of Christ. Courage is this willingness to, to go into something that's hard, to persevere, to stay, to follow through, to finish in a trial, in a hardship, something that maybe was unexpected or not very desirable. If you were to do a definition search of courage on the internet, you'd find all kinds of different things of how you can gain courage. But one of the things that I saw that I immediately had a red flag was self-confidence. That if you're going to be courageous, you've got to believe in yourself. I think the reason why so many people lack courage is because when they look in the mirror, <laughs> it's not very believable. But Christians don't have to rely on themselves to have courage. No, we can believe in something that is greater than us, something that has more power than we could ever muster up, is more faithful than we would ever be, and a promise that is greater than any promise that we can give because the promises of God always come through. For a Christian, courage is confidence in God's promises and a trust that he will fulfill them. Now, for you and I, courage can be displayed in a couple of ways. We can be courageous in doing what is right in the face of an immediate threat of persecution or harm. And some of us have been put in that predicament where we are at a, at a cross or we are at a moment where we are going to stand with truth and, and, and right away we're going to face the consequence of that stand for righteousness. And we can be courageous in that moment saying, I'm going to trust God more than myself. But there's another way that we can be courageous, and that is living obediently in times of uncertainty. When we don't see the plan or understand what he is trying to accomplish, what God is up to, but we are going to choose to do what is right. We're going to choose to walk in obedience to his word, even when we don't see where he's headed. That's courage. I think we see both of them in Philip's life. Both of these types of courage. To stand what's right when there's an immediate threat of persecution or harm, but also to live obediently to God in times 
of uncertainty. And so this morning, I just want to highlight three lessons that we learn here from Philip's life, looking at this text in Acts chapter 8. The first lesson is this. Faith in the gospel prepares us for hardship. It doesn't prevent it. The gospel is good news. The gospel, that, that word actually means good news. It's a, it's a term that was often used in military context. It would be a report that someone, a scout, would give back to the commander as you would send the scout up to the front lines to see how the battle was going on. And the scout would come back to the commander to give that report and you were hoping for the gospel. Good news that we are advancing, that we are winning the battle. When we evangelize, when we tell other people about Jesus Christ, we are telling them good news because this is really, really good news. That God stepped into the brokenness of a world that he created, but that was marred by our sin. And he actually created a way for us to be restored, be redeemed. That he, for his own glory and his own purposes, because of his great love, he's a God rich in mercy and generous with his grace, provided a way for you to not have to pay the price that you deserve for your sin provided a way for you to be able to be reunited with your creator, to live in intimate fellowship with him, both now here on earth and after we die forever. That's good news. To a lost and dying world that says it's dead and lost in its trespasses, this is good news. To a person who has no hope, who knows in their heart of hearts that everything they've tried to do to be good and to course correct in their life has fallen short. There's a message of hope that says, you don't have to do that anymore. Christ has provided a way. Believe it. That's all you have to do. Believe it. And it will be credited to you as righteousness. It's yours. That's good news, right? You know, uh, there's lots of ads that we see all the time. And sometimes, you know, the purpose of an ad is to try to draw us on and tell us all the reasons why we need that product. Uh, one of the ones that I, I was looking at was a, an ad for a phone, a uh, phone company. I think we have a picture of it. And look at me, what draws your eyes? Free phone for everyone. And then what's sales tax not included? After all, rebates, upgrade fee may apply. <laughs> right? That learn more button is the scariest button on that page because once you click on that, it's like there's no such thing as a free phone. Truly free, right? Sometimes an ad uh, uh, trying to draw us in is like, man, look how good this is. There is absolutely nothing to worry. Don't look behind the curtain. It's all good right here. Free for everyone. See, the gospel is true. The gospel is free. It's a free gift. But when Christ was on earth, he wasn't trying to bait and switch us. He was trying to just get us to believe and then says, okay, now I have to really level with you. He was a transparent God, a truth-telling God. And throughout the gospel accounts, those first four books of the New Testament, and even through his followers in the rest of the books of the New Testament, what we see is, yes, the good news is that salvation is possible, forgiveness of sins, and eternity spent with your creator not separated from him. You'll have his Holy Spirit. You have an inheritance that can never be touched. You are his child adopted. You are a prince or princess of heaven. That's all true, but Christ also said, but, but know this, to follow me is gonna come with a cost. 
He said that they are not going to like you the same way they're going to reject me, the same way they're going to persecute me. If you choose to follow me, if you choose to identify yourself as a Christian, a Christ follower, when you look at me, you should see the one I follow. Know that it's going to be hard. Jesus told us that there was going to be battles, not only with the world, but there was going to be battles with our own sinful flesh that it's going to betray us, that it's going to try to draw us back into that old way of living, that we're also going to be in the midst of a spiritual war that's always been a part of the circumstances since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, the spiritual warfare. But he says, but don't worry, I'm going to give you the armor. I'm going to give you a way to be able to protect yourself and to be victorious in that. And so when we listen to the gospel, yes, it is good news, but it's not just good news about our salvation. It is good news that in the midst of the hardship that we are going to face, which Christ clearly identified, it will be the thing that we can hold to. It is the thing that will stay constant in the face of opposition and hardship and trials, times of uncertainty. See, the gospel fosters courage in us. It reminds us that what's true when our hearts are clouded by feelings and emotions the gospel is that it's that beacon it's that lighthouse that we can continue to go back to and go okay that's what's true that's true north that's where i'm going that's where safety is the gospel can help us keep our priorities and purposes clear in a world that's trying to constantly distract us and pull us away the gospel gives us something to cling to when everything else is falling apart in acts 8 what we're seeing here happen to the church is one of those times. It said here, if you guys look back at the first part of those first five, six verses, it says that Saul was on the hunt. It uses a word there in verse three. It says Saul was ravaging the church. That, that word ravaging uh, is meaning this idea like a wild animal mangling its prey. I mean, he is going in and he is hunting Christians. He's not just taking the ones out that are standing in the public square. It says that he's going into homes and he's putting them on trial right there. Do you follow Christ? And he's taking them out of their homes. No one's off limits. Men, women are being dragged out of their homes for following Christ and put into prison. And I love verse four. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That word, uh, that phrase, preaching the word uh, in, the, in the text is the same word we get for evangelism. Think about that. People are being hunted by Saul. There's great persecution, it says, that arose against the church. He's going into homes. He's hunting down Christians. There's no safe place. It says that people are being scattered. They're having to leave that area and they're going up from Jerusalem into Samaria, into Judea, and they're going all over. They're having to get away out of fear for their lives. Because why? Because they decided to accept the good news. But what did they do when hardship hit? What did they do when this trial came? What came out of them when life started to squeeze them? The gospel, ministry, 
the only true thing that they knew was for certain when everything else was going topsy-turvy, when everything else was starting to be pulled apart, when they didn't know if they were going to get caught, who was going to betray them, where they were going to go. They didn't know what they were going to do for themselves when they had to just leave everything behind to run for their lives. What did these people continue to do? They continued to tell people about Jesus. The gospel is good news. But belief in the gospel is not designed to prevent you from ever going through a hardship. No, it's designed to prepare you for what you are now walking in along with Christ. So the question for us this morning is, what comes out of you when hardship hits? What comes out of you when life starts to squeeze you? What comes out of you when you're in those seasons where you don't know what is next? You don't know how you're going to get through this challenge. Philip and these other believers who are scattered, (laughs) their faith is what came out of them. It prepared them for the battle. And these weren't super mature, long, you know, multi-generation Christians. These are the very first Christians. (laughs) But this was the most real thing in their life, and this is what they clung to when hardship hits. What comes out of you? When hardship hits. What's amazing about this story in Acts chapter 8 is that the more Saul persecuted the church, the more it grew. Isn't that incredible? This has been consistent throughout all history. The more the church is persecuted, the more the gospel goes out around the world. Why is that? It's because it's the only thing that matters. When persecution comes, our focus gets really narrow, right? As a believer, our focus should be, hey, okay, these things are all falling away. That should be expected because this world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. But the gospel is forever, and I can build my life upon it. Throughout history, persecution has been gasoline to the flame of the gospel. That's amazing. Jesus said, I want you to take this gospel, and I want you to go into all the world. I want you to teach people. I want you to tell them. The gospel wants you to teach them all the things that you've observed from me. Sometimes we need a little help to get out there. <laughs> this persecution might have been seen like a big inconvenience, or why would God let this happen? I just decided to follow him. Why is he allowing this to happen to me? But that leads us to the second thing we see from Philip's life, and that is this. Every hardship we face is an opportunity, not an obstacle. Every hardship we face is an opportunity, not an obstacle. This persecution forced these new believers to leave Jerusalem and to head back into different areas. The fact that Philip went into Samaria was just, I mean, Jewish people, people who followed the Lord didn't go to Samaria. They they didn't like Samaria. The Samaritans were uh, what they considered half-breeds during an Assyrian exile. So Assyria had come and forced believers, uh, forced the Jewish people out. Some people went to Samaria and they began, those Jewish people began to marry non-Jewish people. And so they kind of created this whole dynamic between Jewish people and Samaritans. We read through that throughout the New Testament, just this animosity. But That's where Philip escapes to. He's going, and he goes to a place in Samaria. But there's a word here that I want want to also highlight this morning that we see two times, and it's the word scattered. It says in that first verse that there arose a great 
on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And then in verse 4 it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. There's a number of ways the word scattered is used in our, in our English language. And if you were to look up in the dictionary, scattered can mean a variety of things. Let me read a few of them to you. I just pulled this out of uh, one dictionary. It said, scattered, to cause to spread widely. Uh, scatter, to cause to vanish or dissolve. Uh, to scatter is to fling away heedlessly, to squander. To scatter is to distribute irregularly. But then there's this definition. To scatter means to sow by casting in all directions. This is an incredible thing that kind of I, I, I was drawn to and discovered through my study of this passage is that this idea of scattering, when we first read it on first kind of looking at the text, it's like, man, they're getting persecuted and they're just I mean, running in any direction. I mean, they're literally running out of their house and it's just, it's unorganized. It's not with a purpose. It's just survival mode. <laughs> but that's not what this word means to tell us. That when we read scattered here, it's not this idea to, to be dissolved or it was kind of like the, the outcome of the persecution. No, they were being scattered, yes. They were being forced to leave, yes. But it was intentional and purposeful. That what Saul thought he was doing by disbanding Christianity and causing it to scatter away, God said, no, 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 you are actually helping me spread the seed of the gospel in every direction. Think about that. Doesn't that just change the way we look at this? They were scattered. Oh, man, so sad, like such a discouraging obstacle. Or, man, they were scattered. Saul thought he was winning. God was actually moving the gospel out, and people start getting saved. It says in Samaria, then Philip begins to what? He begins to preach the word, tell them about the Christ. And he begins to preach it. God gives him a supernatural ability to show that he is actually a representative of God. So he's able to do some supernatural things. And it says that people are believing and there is much joy in that city. As I was thinking about this idea of scattered, I, I thought about the, the dandelions that often pop up in my yard. You know, little kids think these are awesome because little wind, a little flick, pah, right? But they're a weed, We want to take them out quickly because a little wind can knock those little seedlings off and cause more to plant. We've got to be careful when we do it. Sometimes you can think, well, I'm just going to take the mower out and knock them down and take care of it. And all I'm doing is helping them spread. This is the same thing that God did. He said, I'm going to let persecution come but I've got you. The gospel is as sure today as it was yesterday when you believed it. And what you see is an obstacle is actually an opportunity for you to go and now actually fulfill what I've called my followers to do, which is to take this gospel around the world and to teach people about me to observe everything that I've taught you. What was seen as a sad outcome to persecution was actually a sovereign design to fulfill the Great Commission. And this persecution sent believers out in all directions. And it says that Philip had this tremendously fruitful ministry. <laughs> People are getting saved. It says in verse 12, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. The hardships and trials that you and I face can either be seen as an obstacle or an opportunity. 
what you're going through right now in your life, the hardships you're facing, the uncertainty that lays before you can be seen as an obstacle or an opportunity. There was a time in my life where I had some unexpected news. I was kind of caught off guard by a situation and I called home and I, I, I shared with my wife, Holly, and said, this is what's going on. And in that moment, I was, I was pretty broken and, and my wife just said to me, hey, I just, I'm sad, I'm sorry, but I can't wait to see what God's gonna do. I'll never forget that moment where God used my wife to speak that truth into my life to help me understand that this hardship was an opportunity to see God do something incredible and not an obstacle. You know, whatever you're facing in your life, God's spreading you out. God's placing you where he wants you to be. He's planting you in places. He's planting you in circumstances and in hardships and in obstacles. He's planting you there, but he's not leaving you there. He's wanting to grow you up there. He has a purpose for you going through that trial. He wants to do something in you and through you. So the next question for us to consider this morning is this. Are you growing where you're planted? Are you growing where you've been planted? The hardship, the struggle, the trial, the unforeseen circumstance, not knowing where the future is going to head, not knowing how you're going to get out of it. Are you growing in that? Are you letting the Spirit of God direct you, fill you up, give you wisdom? Are you relying on Him alone? Are you trying to uproot yourself and get to another field, to get to another lawn, to get to another place? These people were scattered by persecution and yet they decided to grow up where God had placed them. And because of it, God used it to grow his church for his glory. The gospel went out. People were saved forever. So my encouragement to you is, have you asked the Lord to use you where he's led you? Perhaps instead of saying, God, please take me out of this hardship. Take me, take me, remove this obstacle for me. Perhaps the prayer could be, God, would you, would you cause me to trust you here? Even if I don't see it, God, would you help me to be obedient to you here, faithful to you here? It's a pretty amazing thing. God scatters on purpose. Satan tries to dissolve us. God scatters us and grows us. It's an awesome thing. And that leads us to our last point. When God leads you into the desert, it's for a purpose. I don't know if you've ever felt like you've been in a desert place, but here you have Philip. He's already been forced to flee. He goes into Samaria and God turns that obstacle into an opportunity. He uses Philip because Philip is a proclaimer of the gospel. He's just telling people about Christ. I don't come with anything else in my pockets, but I do have Jesus. Can I tell you about him? People start to believe and then it says in verse 26, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise up and go towards the south to a road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place is what Luke tells us. And I can imagine in that moment as Philip hears this word from the Lord, kind of going, Where do you want me to go? One author said this, Christianity is not irrational, but it can be mysterious. Have you ever experienced that? Lord, I get that you're in charge and I'm not and your ways are higher than my ways, but I still don't get it. That's not irrational, but it can be mysterious. We don't always fully understand what God's trying to do. But God had used Philip to share the gospel in Samaria. 
And Philip had seen God take that hardship and turn it into something beautiful. And now he tells him to rise and go to this desert place, go out into the wilderness, leave this, and go somewhere else. I don't know if you've ever felt where God's trying to move you out of something that you think is going pretty good. You're like, God, why would you ever call me out of something good into something that doesn't make any sense? God, why would you cause me to have to like leave something that seems to be what you want me to do and then, but you want me to go over to this desert place? It, it says in this that, in, in the first part of Acts chapter eight, that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They stayed there to fight the good fight. They're there. And perhaps when God said, hey, Philip, why don't you go to this next place? Maybe Philip could have said, well, send one of the apostles. They're just, they're just hanging out. Or perhaps Philip could have said, man, there's still work for me to do right here. Why are you wanting me to go to a place where there's nothing? I have to start over to the desert? But what does it say he did? Verse 27, and he rose and went. Now, this is not Philip writing about his life, giving us some edits to the commentary to kind of make himself look like he was really faithful and really obedient. This is what Luke said happened. Remember, Luke is committed to the truth. He's investigating. But what Luke tells us here in this moment is what? When God told Philip to get up and go to a place that maybe made no sense, to a place that was a desert area, there wasn't a lot going on there, Philip got up and went. No questions asked. Philip was led to the desert, but he wasn't abandoned. God was near. It says that he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch of the court. He was an official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and now was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And look, in verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over there and join his chariot. Philip went obediently. He didn't have the whole picture. God just said, I want you to go to this place. Didn't say what he was going to do, who he was going to meet, what it was going to mean for him, what it was going to require from him. He just said, go over here. Philip got up and went. God led him into the desert, but didn't abandon him. He says, the Spirit said, okay, now here's the next step. You know, sometimes we don't hear the next step until we take the first step. We don't hear the, we don't hear the next step. We don't see what God, because God's going to, hey, Rely on me, trust in me, follow me. God was near him, and the Spirit gave him further instruction. God used him to share the gospel with the Ethiopian. We don't have time to read through it, but it says that, that this Ethiopian was reading a section of Isaiah. In verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, of whom does this scripture, who is it talking about? Is he talking about this man who wrote it or someone else? And it says in verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He showed how this, voice, this verse was pointing ahead to the gospel. Philip, an ordinary man, not a leader in the church, someone called to serve the church. Someone, someone who had a reputation of just being willing to trust the Lord. God calls him to this place. And for a second time now, in just a few verses, we see God spiritually equips Philip to do the work that he had called Philip to do. The only person in the entire New Testament who's identified as an evangelist is Philip. 
Philip. Maybe you're a Philip. Just going through life, doing your thing. You love the Lord. And he wants to scatter you and plant you and equip you to be one who proclaims his word. Sometimes we seek the power of the spirit to do the work of God. Sometimes like, okay, well, I'll be a Philip, but God, okay, okay, give me the spirit. Give me, give me my marching orders and I'll go out and do it. Sometimes we ask the Lord, God, give me what I need to go out and be a faithful to you. If you fill up my, my tank, you fill up my reserves, you give me the equipment, I'll go do the work for you, Lord. Have you ever done that? God, I'll do it, but I need, you to, I need you to kind of build me up a little bit. Give me the things I think I need to go out and do the work I think I need to do for you. James Boyce, uh, commentator and preacher, said this about this text. He said, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. When we get that clearly in mind, then we can see that the object of our relationship to the Holy Spirit is not that we might have more of him so that we can use him, but rather that he might have more of us so that he can use us. God called Philip into the desert. He directed him and then he gave him what he needed to accomplish the work that God wanted to do for his glory, not Philip's glory. Sometimes we kind of pump the brakes and we wait and we're resistant to step out in faith because we want God to, to give us the path, to give us the way, to help us see the, the trail, to give us the resources. And, oh, you want me to do that, God? Okay, give me this and I'll go do it for you. And you say, no, no, just, you just show up and let me lead you to it. And so the final question for you this morning is this. Are you ready to rise and go? Is there something in your life, an area that God's saying, I want to I take you through a transition. I want to move you into a new area. I want to move you into a new stage of life, a new season. I want to take you out of what you're doing, which is comfortable, and I want to put you over here. If he's impressing on that, are you willing to say yes? Are you ready to rise and go? Because here's the truth. The Lord's calling you somewhere, and he's ready to lead you there and through it. But are you ready to respond with the courage that is rooted in the gospel, the good news, that he will never leave you or forsake you? You are his forever. Dr. Kent Hughes put it like this. God's sovereign work plus man's obedience brings the touch of God to needy lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time to be in your word this morning. I thank you for the story of Philip, God, and how you used an ordinary man to do extraordinary things because of his obedience to you. God, I pray through the hardships and trials that we face that, that the gospel would be the thing that we keep going back to, the good news that it's not about us anymore, it's all about you, and it's not about what we bring to the table, it's what you do through us, and that we would cling to that, God, in times of uncertainty, in times of struggle. God, I pray for every person in here this morning as we listen to this, God, and we consider ourselves, that, God, you would cause us to see the hardships in our lives, not as obstacles, but as opportunities. And that, God, as you raise us up and as you call us out, that we would know that if you lead us into a desert place, if you take us into a place that we did not see coming, that it's on purpose, that you're not going to leave us or abandon us. You're going to guide us if we will take that first step of faith. God, help us to take the first step today. I pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen.